We're glad that you're here. I'm excited to uh, to be with you to continue this series called The Crown. Uh, Pastor, you know, checked his schedule and he had planned and was thinking that he was supposed to going to be here and then he realized he wasn't. He was a little heartbroken because, you know, Samuel's the big one and he's like, man, I have this series and you're the one having to finish it. And I'm like, yes, sir. But uh, he'll be back next week, but I'm going to do my best to, to hit Samuel and to make sure that we, we do that well. Just as a quick recap, I'm not going to go through all the ins and outs of everything. You can go back and catch those archives uh, on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, but uh, we started with Hannah. We're kind of going through 1 Samuel. We started with Hannah. Pastor went through and, and showed us how her faithfulness and her dedication and her uh, persistence and diligence in prayer led to, to the man of God seeing her and prophesying over her and speaking to her that she would have a son, and she did. And that son was named Samuel, who we're going to dig into here in a moment. Uh, but we kind of looked at how her persistence and her willingness to, to what God gifted her with, she was willing to trust God with that back and how that sort of set her up to be such a monumental person. Then we looked at Eli and we looked at how he was a man of God and there were some good things that came out of the life of Eli, but unfortunately the things of the earth and his own kids and and all of the things uh, of the earth like that, he wanted to hold on to more than he wanted to hold on to to the promise of God. And that affected them, the fact that his kids... And then last week we talked about those kids, Hophni and and Phinehas, and how they tried to make the whole house of God. They had a major duty, and their duty was to take care uh, and tend the tabernacle, the house of God, to worship, to intercede, to pray, to be that bridge between the people and God. But they got messed up, and they thought that the church was all about them. And we kind of talked about that. You can go back and review that if you want to. It got kind of heavy in here last week. I'm sorry, but because we look at how... Even today, if we're not careful, we like to make the house of God about us. And the house of God's not about us. It's supposed to be a place where we worship and lay all of ourselves down to Him. Amen? So, let's move into what we're dealing with today. We want to talk about Samuel. Now again, we're, we're, we're kind of hitting each, each character along. We could really break down and probably to do it justice would need to spend about a month here on Samuel. So I'm going to move quickly tonight. So I'm just giving you that as a fair warning. Uh, to get through it, we're going to move kind of quickly. There is several scripture passages we're going to read together, but there's going to be some where I'm just going to maybe point out and summarize. Is that okay? I hope that's all right. You can go check me on it. If I say anything wrong, you're more than welcome to come and we can talk about it. But uh, I'm, I'm, some of the parts I'll just kind of paraphrase and, and let you see for the sake of time for us to get through. Uh, but as we look at Samuel, as I said, he's the namesake of this book and Second Samuel that were to come after. Uh, a very important, pivotal figure as we look at this story and as we're talking about the crown, we're talking about the glory of God and, and how the Lord wanted to, to have authority over His people. Samuel becomes a very important part of that. As we go through his story today, if you look on your handout, the way that I have this sort of broken down, the notes, so to speak, are really eight points that we're going to hit tonight, okay? Eight points that we're going to look at that would be the ministries of Samuel is the way that I have it titled there. You could also say it this way if you wanted to, maybe a better way to say it. Eight aspects of Samuel's ministry, eight characteristics that define who he was and what made Samuel such an important man of God and a pivotal part in the history of Israel. And as we go through these, you are going to see that these eight characteristics or aspects or ministries that Samuel had are eight elements that need to be evident in the life of followers of Christ. Everybody understand? So while we're going to look and describe who Samuel was, do understand that everything we look at is going to have some relevancy to who we are and who we need to be as followers of Christ. Are you ready? I want to go ahead and start with the first one before we even get into the Scripture. But let's let's look at the first one I want you to write down. I want you to understand that Samuel's ministry was defined by faithfulness and dedication. His ministry was defined by faithfulness and dedication. If I were to go look, you can look in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where we started with Hannah. Let me kind of go back to that reference. Once Hannah has gone through the process and she has prayed for a son, she wanted to have a child, she was tired of being ridiculed by the other people who looked at her and say she's barren, there must be something wrong with her, she can't even have a, have a child, there's something going on there. And she said, I don't want to be this person who's looked at and scorned by everyone else. I want to, 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 to have this promise. And once the Lord had fulfilled the promise and she had the child... Notice what Hannah did. She didn't just then go on about herself, thanks God one time and go about her life and try to, you know, pump up that boy and live her life through that son. Does that make sense? 
There's a lot of people today who when God gives them a promise, they, they'll pray and they'll pray, but once they receive the promise, they become through with, with God in that moment. Does that make sense? That's the first point. I shouldn't be getting too heavy too quickly, but you know. There's a lot of times, and listen, I've been guilty in times in my early spiritual life, so I'm not talking about something as if, you know, I'm better than you. I'm talking where I've been, so I know that it happens. We get into the situation where, God, I need you to do a miracle. I need you to move in my life. I need, only you can do this, whether it's, I just need you to open this door so I can get this career. God, I need you to, to show me who, and provide for me a spouse. Who's going to be that, that person I can spend my life with? God, I want to have children so that, that, that I, they can be a blessing and I can, and then as soon as those promises come, if we're not careful, very quickly we forget about the giver of the promise and we focus all our life on just enjoying that promise for our own good. Does that make sense? That's why you see people, I've, I've been in church a long time, so that's why I, I, I use it and say it this way. Man, I've known a lot of people whose lives were in shambles and they came to church and they gave their life to God and God started moving in their life and man, things happened and their life was turned around and then all of a sudden, now that their life was turned around, they kind of forgot where they came from and they thought they did it all on their own. And as a result, it became easy, well, well we're just going to do this, we're just going to go do that, we're just going to... And all of a sudden, life shifts away from giving what we've been given back to God and using it for His glory to just doing all that we can to sort of fill our flesh and fulfill our role. Does that make sense? All right, let me move on quickly because there's a lot of time if I get too bogged down here. But that's where Hannah could have been if she was like a lot of people today. But Hannah was not. What did she do? Remember, we talked about it probably in that first week. But in in chapter 1, it says, just as this is the son that God has promised when he came of age and he had you know, been weaned and he was to the point where he could be on his own, she took him back to Eli, the prophet, back to the priest where she had uh, first been praying for the son and she gave her son back to him. Everybody understand? She said, I'm, he's going to sit here and he's going to serve the king. The Lord gave me this promise and gave me this son, so I'm going to give him back. And, and as we've been covering, what happened to her? Every time, every year she would come back and make him a new coat, and every year she'd come back and make sure he was taken care of, and the Lord just kept blessing her and blessing her with a kid every year, more and more and more. Isn't that awesome? Samuel's life, Samuel was that boy that at the very beginning was given back to God. Almost as, a, as literal as can be, given back to God. His life was given to the service of the tabernacle, the service of Eli the priest and Eli the prophet. Isn't that incredible? His very life at the very beginning was based in dedication. But it wasn't just in dedication. You can read, and we'll look at some scripture in a moment, but you can continue to read and see not only did it, did it stop there. He didn't, you know, get older and say, I can't believe my mom left me here. This is crazy. I hate it here. I want to go home. It doesn't say he didn't do that, but it certainly doesn't say he did do that. So that tells me that Samuel was a person who was not only dedicated, but he was faithful. Everybody say faithful. Listen, again, I don't want to get too bogged down on anything. I've got several things to get to, but this is sort of one of those things that is close to my heart. If there is anything in this world that the Lord will reward, I didn't say the Lord might reward, the Lord does reward sometimes. I'm telling you, I'm living proof. I'm breathing in here in the flesh. The only reason you're sitting here listening to PB is because I am a witness to God rewarding faithfulness. You can be more, there's plenty of people, you're going to go find plenty of people who are more talented than PB. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be just self-deprecating. I'm not looking for your sympathy. You know, that's not the point. I'm being real. You can go probably all over the place and find more gifted speakers than PB, more, more gifted musicians than PB, more gifted administrators and teachers than PB. There's plenty of more people talented. But what the Lord told me when I would argue with that, I said, God, there's plenty of better, more talented people you can use. Why are you fooling with me? He said, because you've proven yourself faithful. There's been many situations that the Lord has opened for me to walk through and have the opportunity to do and to serve in the minister simply because, I mean, I know everything has to have a little bit of talent. I get that, but, but it's not because of the talent. I promise it's because that even when, when things didn't seem okay, when things were difficult, even when I didn't want to do things, when it came time for PB to fulfill a mission or fulfill a role, he was there. I'm talking to myself in the third person. I was there. Again, I'm not saying this to try to pump myself up. I'm being honest of what I've witnessed. 
I learned from an early age, and I'm thankful that it was instilled in me. If you want to do great things for God, and, it, 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 and I'll get practical, if you'll just be faithful, we're living in a world that is just full of people that the first moment something gets difficult, hard, or it's inconvenient, they quit. And listen, I, me and my wife yesterday, just yesterday, we went to a, we were in Meridian getting ready. We had to go get a last minute gift for the Christmas gathering there. And so right there in the shopping center, we went to a chain restaurant. Just happened to be one we hadn't been to in a while. So we decided to go there. And, you know, one o'clock we go in, we're sitting there and we wait about 15 minutes, which we weren't in a hurry. So it didn't bother us. But the manager was kind of flustered. He was the one working the desk. And you could tell that he was not the one that was supposed to be hosting. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, a couple of people had got tired of waiting and they had already come in and they had left. We just kept sitting there. We were just chilling. We were finally again. It was kind of a, one of those days where thankfully we didn't have anywhere to be, so it wasn't nothing to us. But he was getting flustered. We kept healing him, trying to explain to people. The manager's like, well, we had a plan together, but, but the person who was supposed to be hosting 15 minutes before the shift starts, they call in and say, I'm not coming in. And then we got, you know, you can look around and see that, that only about half of the tables in the restaurant were actually full at the point, but you know, they can't seat but so many because there were only so many servers because two servers had called in and said they weren't coming in. And you know, it just got me thinking, not in a way, not that I'm the old man yelling at clouds, not trying to be one of those, all oh, these kids these days or anything like that. But you can't help but make a observation when you look at society that just, I'm not even just talking the church, we're just talking society, man. Where's the faithfulness? Do y'all understand what I mean? The, the, listen, I, I'm going to tell you what, you don't have, that's why I say that. I mean, if you're just in a practical sense, if you're sitting here listening to me today or maybe watching this on the video, this, you don't have to pay me for this advice. This is free, but I'm here to tell you, I don't care what you want to do. I promise you could probably gain traction in any type of, of job field that you want to get into. You start an entry level, I promise you'll be able to climb the steps pretty quickly. All you got to do is be there. Is this okay? Y'all thinking, well, I don't feel this is holy. But the same thing works in church. I think a lot of times the Lord tests us. I'm not saying that He's withholding, but I think sometimes God wants to see how faithful you're willing to be before He releases things that He has in store for us. And, and, and that's what we saw with Samuel. Samuel was faithful. You know, he could have, again, in his attitude, he really had every opportunity to say, man, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I was, I was left here against my will. You know what I'm talking about? I was one of those kids who grew up in church. I went to church a lot against my will. Y'all know what I mean? There's times my kids come to church and they may have been against their will. And there's times when that attitude comes, well, you're making me come. And I... But no, we're, we're going to practice faithfulness. I'm careful when I say this. I don't really want you to think that I do this all the time, but I'm going to be real and transparent. Can I do that? Do you believe that, Pastor Bradley, there have been times where I haven't really been feeling it? <laughs> this isn't one of them, I promise. I don't want you to look things. No. But listen, how many times, there have been times I've had to speak, or there have been times I've, and it's more or less in the preparation. I'm like, man, i gotta, I got to study. i got to do this. You know, it's real easy. I'm going to be real transparent. Sometimes, man, this is a Wednesday during a holiday. I don't even know if anybody's going to be here. I just don't even, you know, it would have been so easy just to... How many times does the enemy bring thoughts like that in your mind? Maybe not even the enemy. We can't even blame the devil. How many of just your flesh has thoughts like that? Can we say it that way? Man, how many... Wouldn't it just be easy just to... Let's just chill. Let's not even worry about that. And we become unfaithful. Listen... I promise you, there's this blessing that may be on the other side of your faithfulness. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And sometimes it may take a little bit. You may not, I'm not saying you be faithful for the next two weeks and, and the Lord is going to just, <laughs> it may take, you know, a couple of months. It may take a few years. Listen, it, it took the, some of the people in the children in Israel, it took them 40 years to kind of, you know, Moses had to be faithful there and then Joshua after them. They had to be faithful there to make it through it. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? There's a point where God just wants to know, can I count on you? Even when you don't feel like it, when, when, when that, that role, that ministry, that job, that, that thing I've called you to do. It, listen, there, when you first get called to a ministry or first opportunity comes, you're going to be excited. It's exciting things to do. 
Man, I remember the first times I preached, there was some nervousness, but then there was some excitement. Man, the first time I had certain opportunities, I got to go speak here. First time I've spoke here, the first time I... Uh, it's always an excitement on the first day. It's like school, man. Even the first day of school, there's a hint of excitement. But over time, what happens to your feelings? Your feelings are going to fade. Is this okay? Your natural feelings and the natural excitement and the, and the adrenaline may fade. God wants to know, okay, now we get to see who you really are. Are you just the adrenaline when it's easy and when it feels good? Or are you willing to step up even when it's difficult and say, I'm still going to do what I've been called to do. I'm still going to be the person God has called me to be. When it comes time for my church, I don't care if everybody's got the flu and it'd be easy just to stay away. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve my church and I'm going to be there to hear the word of the Lord. When I get up in the morning and get ready to go to my job, I don't care that, you know, so-and-so is off for this long and I'm, my family's off and I, I gotta go to work. No, I'm gonna still go do what I'm supposed to do. Is this alright? Alright. So that's point one. Samuel, he was faithful and he was dedicated. His lifelong role as a judge and priest, they were examples of a life full of faithfulness and dedication. Listen. The Lord's blessing comes upon those people who are faithful and who are dedicated. I don't know, and I'll say one more thing before I move on. I don't know who I'm talking to here today, but I feel like I need to talk to somebody. And you'll know this Holy Spirit talking to you. It's not me. But maybe those struggles, maybe those things, maybe when you feel like you're butting up against that wall and you can't get that breakthrough, maybe when it seems like all hell has broken loose and come against you, maybe it feels like that prayer that you have prayed and you've believed and you know it's for you, but it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe, just maybe, not that the Lord is wanting you to earn it, but maybe the Lord is still just testing how faithful you will be toward Him. If you will continue to be faithful toward Him, He will be faithful to you. Second part. This is the part I want us to look at in Scripture. If you'll go to chapter 3, 1 Samuel. I want us to read through this. Again, I got a lot. I'll, I'll read through it quickly. But the second thing that you need to understand about Samuel is he was faithful, he was dedicated, but the second thing is he responded to God's call. He responded to God's call. Let's look at what happens here in 1 Samuel 3. This is really the first part we see Samuel as a character. And so it says this, The boy Samuel, he ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. So understand that there are seasons throughout the Bible, if you read it, especially through the Old Testament, where the word of the Lord was quiet. There were times when there were prophets everywhere the Lord was talking to and He was proclaiming the word of the Lord. But this was a season where there weren't a lot of people proclaiming or claiming to have heard from the Lord. Does that make sense? This was a season where maybe the Lord wasn't talking. Maybe the, 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 the ears were quiet. And, and maybe some of that is because what we've talked about with Eli and his sons and what had sort of had perverted the, the, the lineage of the priesthood, maybe that was part of it. There, people weren't focused, so they weren't hearing the Lord's voice. So that's important to understand. And so it came to pass while Eli was lying down in his place that when his eyes had begun to grow so dim he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, so he's lying down, it's dark, we're getting ready to go to sleep. At this moment, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So then, verse 5, he ran to Eli, and he said, Hey, here I am. You called me. He hears a voice saying, Hey, Samuel, and Samuel, assuming, I guess as most of us would do, if we hear a voice calling to us, we think it's somebody else. He runs to Eli. Hey, did you, did you holler for me? What did you want? And so Eli says, I did not call. Go lie down again. And he went and lay down. Verse 6, the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And so Samuel arose, went to Eli, said, Here I am, you called me. And he answered, I didn't call, my son. Go lie down again. Any parents in the room, your kids ever get up, think they're hearing things? You know, we, about a few weeks ago, my son, oldest son, was getting up at weird hours in the morning saying he was here and stuff. And we believe it was kind of a moment like this. The Lord was talking to him. But before that moment that we kind of come to that realization, it was a little frustration. We're like, go back to bed. You know, nobody's calling you. We're trying to sleep. Go, do the same, right? Samuel did not yet know the Lord, so he didn't know the word of the Lord. It had not been revealed to him. So, in verse 8, the Lord called Samuel again a third time. 
And he arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am. You did call me. I've heard my name three times. And Eli finally kind of perceived what the Lord had called, the, that the Lord had called the boy. So therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. It shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood. That is powerful. The Lord came and stood. So this was more than just him hearing a voice in his, you know, in his spirit. This was more, this was as if the Lord was, his very presence was coming into his room, into his room. Isn't that powerful? He said, he, he called as he did the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now let me pause right here and sort of hit so that second part. Samuel recognized the word of the Lord. Now, let me tell you what, you know, faithfulness and dedication are important. I want to tell you the next thing that I think is probably the most important part of our walk with God is being able to discern and hear and recognize God's voice when he speaks. Now again, I'm I'm not one to to be careful how I say this. I'm not one to tell you that how God's going to speak to you. Does that make sense? Obvious way that God speaks to us, the obvious way is His Word. Everybody understand? And I'm, I'm going to stand up and say this because I know where, where we kind of come from theologically and a lot of people there, you know, anything that the Lord speaks to you either through a gift of the Spirit of somebody, if I were to give you a word of knowledge or if prophecy were to go forth or anything like that that we claim to be God, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's false. Does everybody understand that? I don't care how spiritual the person may seem, what you feel. If any kind of word or knowledge or anything someone ever says the Lord spoke to them does not line up with the Word of God, they didn't hear from God. Does everybody understand? I think it's important for us to note the Word of God is the basis of everything the Lord wants to say to us here today. Is everybody with me? All right. Now with that said, do I believe the Lord uses, I believe spiritual, we believe here as a church that spiritual gifts are still evident today. We don't believe in cessation, so we believe that there's word of knowledge that may happen. I believe the Lord can impress and speak a word to someone and speak something that they may have no knowledge of. Amen. I believe that happens. Again, it has to follow the word of God. I believe in prophecy. God gives, gives people words and visions and things of what may come. I believe in all of those things. I believe that as I walk with Christ, I believe that there's times that He speaks to me. I believe there are things that He brings into my spirit that and, and thoughts. I won't be the first to say, when I say the Lord spoke to me, I, I don't think I've ever heard His audible voice speak. I've talked to people who believe they have. I'm not going to argue with you on that, okay? You have, you have. I believe that He can. There's, there's evidence that He has. Um, but there's been times when it's been almost audible. There's been times when it's just real loud, just thought hit my spirit or heart or in my mind that I know isn't me, and I know that had to come from the Word of Lord. When that happens, I know that He's spoken to me. Obviously, the Lord speaks to me when I come to church like all of you right now, and I sit and I listen to someone break down the Word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's going to highlight something that's said, whether it's in the Scripture, whether it's in the explaining or teaching in the Scriptures I'm doing right now. The Lord's going to highlight something, and there's times when I can just tell in my heart, ooh, that was good, that was for me. It stays in my mind, and stays in my spirit, and I can, can sort of just chew on it for the rest of the week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The key is you being able to recognize when God is speaking. And listen, there have been times where it's, it hadn't even been anything spiritual where God will say, so I've, <laughs> this may sound weird, I'll be watching movies sometimes and I'll see something or hear something and all of a sudden it's like the Lord, the Holy Spirit checks me when I see it. It's like, ooh, there's a, there's a principle there. There's a thought there. There's something that you needed me to hear there. Now, y'all may think that's crazy, but I believe the Lord speaks to me in, in many ways. Is this all right? So here's the key is recognizing when God is speaking. But it's also important that you don't just recognize when God is speaking to you. It's important that you act on it. 
Because there's a lot of people who have heard the word of the Lord. There's some of you that may be here tonight, may not be here tonight. There's people who darken the church on a weekly basis where the Lord's been speaking to them and He may have been saying the same thing to them for a year or five years or ten years or twenty years. They've heard it. They recognize it. They know it. You can talk to them. You can see them. Man, I know what i got to do. But what's the hard part? Anybody know? Yeah. It's actually doing it. So let's, let's continue on and I'll show you what I mean. So the Lord had said to Samuel, Behold, I'm going to do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to the end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. That was the iniquity of his sons that he didn't deal with. Because his sons made themselves vile and did not, he didn't restrain them. And so therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Just pause there for a second. Can you imagine trying to put yourself in Samuel's, you know, perspective for a moment? The only person he's known that has sort of raised him and reared him as a spiritual leader is Eli, this person that he respects so much. And so he he knows that the Lord has spoken to him. This is powerful. The Lord literally came, it says it came and stood in his room and told him what what, what he was going to say and what he needed to say. But the word he had to say was, all right, now you're going to go tell Eli that that, that the Lord's going to kill him and his sons. And now he has to lay there all night with that on his mind. Maybe some of you have had to deal with that before. Maybe you've had some bad news you've had to sort of share with somebody or maybe not quite bad news or maybe you're in a situation where you know you're going to have to have a tough conversation with somebody. I know in some of the roles that I I play, I can tell when there's a conversation that's not going to be real comfortable. And, you know, as you hear me talk about a lot when it comes to conflict, my natural tendency is to avoid it. So I just want to, you know, not, not... not do with anything that's going to get people riled up, but sometimes you have to have conversations that's going to rile somebody up. Anybody know what I mean? And let's be more specifically from a spiritual standpoint. How many times has the Lord spoken to you or impressed upon you to do something and it wasn't something you wanted to do? Those are the critical moments of walking with the Lord and determining whether or not we're going to live in the authority that the Lord wants us to live in. Is this all right? Because God will speak and we can hear the Word and we can know the Word, but until we're ready to transition and actually do what He says, we don't live in full victory. Samuel was in a place where he's like, look, I'm a kid. I didn't want to be here. Now God's telling me i got to go tell this man who's powerful and is the judge of all the people that he's going to die and, and he's going to hate me because of it. Y'all ever been there? Maybe I'm thinking about it because I'm a preacher and I've got to, God, God will tell me sometimes or I'm reaching, I've got to preach on that and they're not going to like it. And I want to be the bad guy. And there comes a point where God says, are you more focused on pleasing me than you are pleasing people? And so look what happened. Verse 16, Eli called Samuel and he said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answers, here I am. And Eli said, what is it the word that the Lord has spoken to you? What is the word? Please don't hide it from me. God, that God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And so Samuel told him everything. He hid nothing from it. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And so notice what it says in verse 19. Samuel grew... And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. You you read that again? Samuel grew and the Lord was with him so that none of his words fall to the ground. How many of you would love to live in the authority of knowing that whatever the Lord spoke was going to happen? Amen? How many of you would love the ability to know that whatever I say, it's going to be important. It's going to be listened to. Well, that's the anointing that Samuel fell into, but he fell onto it because he was responsive to God's call. He was responsive to the voice 
And this proved to be the catalyst of everything that he would do as he would grow up, as he became the man of God. He became the voice of God in his generation and there in his people. And it all started because he was willing to obey what God had called him to do. Listen, you may think that I'm just trying to sound all up, but I believe that every person that's in this room has a destiny. I don't believe that we're here on this earth right now in 2023, almost 2024 by accident. Amen? You may believe that, but I'm here to tell you that you're not. I'm crazy enough to believe that the Lord has you right here on this earth in Scott County or in this region, in this area, for such a time as this. I'm crazy enough to believe that He predestined and had you here in this place to listen to PB tonight. So you can be reminded that you have a purpose. God wants to use you to be a voice in your family and in your workplace and in your community and in His kingdom. Amen? If you truly can grab hold of that and believe that, the catalyst to that is you to begin to obey what the Lord asks you to do. And sometimes what He asks you to do is going to be difficult. Listen, if I were to tell you the Lord said, if you'll go to this person's house, they'll give you $1,000 tonight, man. Y'all would leave right now, wouldn't you? <laughs> if I were to say the Lord told the Lord's really just telling you to give me $1,000 tonight, You'd still run out of here. But, why? Because that's a little bit more difficult. God, I, that's, that was hypothetical. Don't leave here thinking Pastor Bradley's asking for money. Right? But you get the point. If it's something that's good, if it's something that's going to benefit us, we're going to be all for it when it comes to, oh, that's going to be difficult. Eh, maybe, Lord, you're not really, maybe it's not really the Lord. It was just all that Christmas food I've been eating, all that turkey and stuff. And it's just something. The catalyst to you moving into the destiny God has for you and growing into the person that God has for you is you to not only recognize when He's speaking to you, when He's speaking to your spirit, but then you have to go further and you have to begin to act upon it. Is everybody with me? If you are, say yeah. All right. Let's move on to the third thing. This is important. Samuel had prophetic integrity. Samuel had prophetic integrity. That word integrity is one we throw around a lot of times. But I want to make sure, first of all, you understand what we mean by that. You see, he was known as being honest and being a man of integrity, but these two things are a little bit different. Honesty is, is obviously when you're open and above board, usually in a single situation. So I could have a conversation. I could ask you a lot of things. I could go around and look at what you're doing. And a lot of you could be honest right now. Most of you probably would be honest. We're in church, right? You'd be afraid at the very least of a lightning bolt or something, right? I'm just kidding. It's okay to laugh, right? But you, at least in this environment, most of us would, it's okay to be honest. But you see, integrity goes a little bit deeper than just honesty. Honesty is a trait that you can have in a moment, but in, integrity is more about who you actually are as a person. Does everybody understand? I've heard it said like this, you probably have too. Integrity is more or less what you will do when no one's looking or no one may ever know what you do. Listen, if I, if, if y'all, if I find some money in, on the ground at Walmart and I look around and see some of y'all looking at me. Of course, it, it's, it's easy then for me to be honest. <laughs> Does that make sense? So you're not really looking at me crazy. It's easy for me to be honest because even if I don't really want to be honest, I'm going to be honest because you're watching. Make sense? What if I find the money on the ground though and there ain't a soul around? And I'm nowhere near Forest, Mississippi. And there ain't anybody that even knows PB exists much less know what I look like. At that point, for me to do the right thing, what does it take? Integrity. Does that make sense? Samuel had integrity. He had prophetic integrity. And this integrity is what endorsed and was authenticated by his life. I'll put it to you this way, and this is what a lot of people in the world want to know. That's what they claim. A lot of people who have, who have sort of built up facades and anger against the church, this is what you hear them say a lot. I don't want to go listen to someone who doesn't practice what they preach. You ever heard that before? Samuel practiced what he preached. He was a man of God that became trusted because whatever he said needed to happen is what he did. Is this okay? All right. His role as a prophet involved delivering messages from God even when they were challenging 
or unpopular. That's the integrity of a prophet. It started from a young age, and you can read through 1 Samuel and some of the things we'll look at all throughout it. There were plenty of tough messages that Samuel had to give. You can study all the prophets, and one of the hardest jobs of the prophets was that God would give them the messages, and it wasn't always, Woo! Shout! Deliverance is coming! I mean, he loved those messages. You can send me a prophet that says that every day of the week. Hallelujah! I want to know that I'm the head and not the tail. I want to know that I'm going to prosper. I want to know I'm going to be blessed. And there are times and places and needs for encouragement, but there are times when the Lord's message is you better turn or, and repent or there will be destruction that comes. Those messages are nowhere near as fun to listen to, are they? But Samuel, as a prophet, he didn't choose just to tell the people what they wanted to hear. That was some of the problem that Eli before him had gotten into. Does this make sense? I didn't want to just pacify and make everybody happy and let's keep everybody calm. I don't want to preach something that's going to offend someone. No, he had the integrity of being willing to speak the truth regardless of the consequences. It doesn't mean, and this is, you've probably heard me say this before, it doesn't mean that he was kind of rude with it. Does that make sense? Y'all know those people that, uh, that, that love to say, man, I'm just a bitterly honest person, or I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just one of those people, I'm going to be cruelly honest. Y'all know those people? The honesty isn't their problem. They just really are looking for an excuse to be bitter or cruel. That wasn't Samuel, and that's not what I'm talking about. He had a message that was hard. It didn't mean that he didn't deliver it with love, and we're going to see. He actually had compassion for the people in his heart. But just because it was hard and just because they may not have enjoyed the message doesn't mean that he couldn't preach. He had to do what the Lord had told him to do. Does this make sense? And through that, he became a model for integrity and moral courage. Here's the fourth part I want to show you tonight. Samuel showed incredible leadership in times of crisis. Samuel showed incredible leadership in times of crisis. Listen, it's easy for leaders to take the credit when everything's good and there's been no problems and everything's rolling along. Man, they love that. But a true leader is when you see a true leader when things start going awry. Does that make sense? I want you to go with me to uh, to chapter 9. Actually, wait, I'm sorry. Go to chapter 7. Go to chapter 7. Let's walk through this. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came, and they fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill. And they sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So understand, again, we skipped a few chapters here, but, but what we were at last week is around chapter 4, where we have this battle where Eli and, or where Hoff, the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they went and brought the ark of the Lord, and they went and fought the Philistines, and they thought just because they brought the ark of the Lord on their own doing that they were going to win, and what happened? They were creamed, destroyed. And so the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant with them. And over the last couple chapters, 5 and 6, you see that they thought that they could just have the Ark of the Lord and the power of the Lord would be with them and they could do what they wanted to. But again, this is the part I paraphrase. They put the Ark of God in the tent with their God, Dagon, and they, they, they looked up the next morning and that God had fallen on its face. And that happened multiple times. And throughout those two chapters, it seemed like everywhere they turned, because the, the ark of God was in their camp, but they weren't the people of God, they weren't supposed to have the glory of God, things were going awry. There was chaos happening. They got to the point where they said, we got to get rid of this. We can't have this. This is, this is wrong. This is, we'd, we'd rather them take it back. And so they take it to Kirjath-Jerim, and that's sort of where they leave it. Now, kind of a thing, if I had a lot of time to delve into, we could really look at is the irony here is while this was back in the, in the area of the Israelites, basically within the tribes, this is a place that was out in the middle of nowhere, isolated. Basically, think about the presence of God and the glory of God. And I know this is kind of a side note, but 
How dare we take the glory of God and try to hide it somewhere? Does this make sense? We live in a world today where there's people within the, in the church world who say, man, the presence of God, we don't want to have this open expression, maybe just over here, but we don't want to scare people. We don't want to have people thinking that things are weird. We don't want anybody looking at us and wondering. I'm here to tell you that if the glory of God is back in the camp, we all should celebrate and make great the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. So let's keep rolling and see what happens. So it, the, the people now are lamenting after the Lord. It's been 20 years now. And so basically what's happened here is Samuel finally has them where he wants them, if that makes sense. So verse 3, Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel. He said, listen, if you will return unto the Lord with all your hearts, put away the strange gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only, He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So here's Samuel in the midst of crisis. They had lost the ark of God. Even if it come out, it was a long way away and people were lamenting and they were sad and this was a long dry spell of, of decades. But Samuel as the leader, he didn't try to tell them something to excite them. He doesn't give them false hope. What does he tell them? The truth. And in that, he says, listen, all you have to do is repent and turn from your evil ways. If you will call on the name of the Lord and you will go after Him with everything you have and you will follow His decrees and His laws, and if you will tear down all these idols and all this junk you've been glorifying, guess what will happen? The Lord will return to His people. Amen? We need that message today. I'm here to tell somebody maybe today or maybe this is a message you need to carry and tell somebody today. Listen, you may be lamenting because you've been in a dry season and things have been difficult. Maybe, just maybe though, the Lord has allowed you to get to this point so you can recognize I need to put Him first and put Him back in His proper place. Maybe I've been building up idols of wealth and idols of, uh, of selfishness and idols of my convenience and I've allowed these things to rise. God says if you'll be willing to throw those things out and seek ye first the kingdom of God, then you'll be surprised at what I do and how my glory will come back into your life. Is this good? And so that's what he says. Verse 4, the children of Israel, they put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and they serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mizpah. We're going to pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together to Mizpah. They drew water. They poured it out before the Lord. They fasted on that day. They're consecrating themselves. They're getting ready. And he said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that they were gathered together, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Hey, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel takes a lamb. He offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard them. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, they pursued the Philistines, and they smote them until they came under Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone, and he set it between Mizpah and Shin, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And then in verse 15, I'm going to skip ahead, it says that what they ended up doing with the Philistines, they took all the cities that the Philistines had taken had been restored. And in verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Do you understand that when a crisis came, Samuel didn't say, I have all the answers because I'm smart, and he didn't use his wisdom and, and, and build his kingdom. What did Samuel do? He said, first of all, you need to get rid of all the idols. Second of all, we're going to go to the Lord. Any good leader that you have is going to point to the Lord before they put, point at themselves. Amen? This is important stuff. And so, he's shown to be a great leader in a time of crisis. Number five, quickly. Not only was he a good leader, but number five was he was very wise in appointing leaders. He was very wise himself in appointing leaders. And again, if you'll allow me just to paraphrase, you, can, you have the Scripture references there on your paper. I would encourage you to go check them out. And we're going to hear the stories of two, these two guys in the coming weeks. But there came a point where Samuel was no longer good enough for the people. 
And what I mean by that was he was a judge, he was a prophet, he was doing the things. He, he had his own issues with his own sons, as it said, that weren't quite doing what they were supposed to. As most parents know, you have to disciple kids and make sure they do what they need to. They weren't quite at the level of Eli's sons where they were punished, but it was to the point where the people used it as excuse to come after Samuel. But really what happened was, is they wanted a king. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Listen, I, 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 just practicality. I can see this attitude around Christmas time. I don't know if any of you have family gatherings. I kind of joke about it. You know, we have several Christmas gatherings, and man, my kids are really excited about their Christmas presents until we get together with their cousins. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they still like their Christmas presents, but it's different when they see what their cousins got for Christmas or what someone else got for Christmas. And all of a sudden, wow, that's the coolest thing. Y'all ever seen that before? <laughs> I'm not meaning this in any kind of meaning your will, but I just, it's kind of ironic. You're happy with all your stuff until you see, oh, I didn't know about that, right? Now I need that so I can be like everybody else. Well, listen, the people of Israel were like that. They looked at all the other nations that were around them and they said, wait a minute, how can they have a king and we not have a king? How foolish were they to not realize they were being led by the king of kings who was still on the throne of heaven inside the father who was speaking through his servant. Man, that's the ultimate leader. If only they could see, I would take that kind of leadership over any corrupt government official that I've ever seen. Amen? I'll stop there. But, but nevertheless, they decided they wanted a king. And so Samuel got his feelings hurt a little bit, as most of us, I think, would. It's like, what have I done? But nevertheless, as he's getting into it, the Lord speaks to him and says, No, Samuel, they're not rebelling against you. They're rebelling against me. It's not your authority that they're after. It may feel like it. Sometimes it feels personal in these situations. It's not personal against you, Samuel. They're really rebelling against what I have set up, the system I've set up, the leadership I'm giving them. And so I'm going to give them what they want so that they will see. And so Samuel goes and he anoints a leader. The first king that he anoints is Saul. And there's wisdom there. Again, if you'll let me paraphrase the story, you can go and look at the... But Samuel didn't immediately just go out and find the first person that he thought was the biggest, baddest, most deserving and just made him king, did he? He didn't. He actually went to a specific place the Lord told him to go and he waited until he put his eyes on Saul, not knowing who he was, but the moment he saw Saul, Saul, <laughs> didn't realize how difficult that was going to be until I said it. The moment that he laid eyes on Saul, the Lord spoke to him and said, that's the man that you're going to anoint as king. Wisdom. I don't need to try to make things happen on myself. I need to follow the Lord's command. Amen? Even more wisdom later on. Once after a few years, we realized that Saul wasn't going to work out. Saul was anointed king, but he wasn't going to obey the word of the Lord. There were multiple times, again, we'll get into this in a few weeks, but multiple occasions where Saul just flat out refused to submit to the authority of the Lord and he wanted to do his own thing, so there had to be another king. So Samuel's led to the house of Jesse. Jesse has all these sons, and one of these sons is going to be the king. And Samuel very easily could have just picked the one that looked the strongest, the one that looked like he was going to be the, the most fit, the one who was the most valiant of that crew. And surely, you know, Jesse thought one of them was going to be good enough because he didn't even invite his youngest one because surely he couldn't compare. But Samuel, he didn't settle. Man, this is good. I wish I had time here. But Samuel didn't settle. He didn't just say, this has to work and I'm going to make it my best choice. No, Samuel knew. He said, no, the Lord says this is not the one. There was a man after God's own heart that was sitting out in the field dealing with the sheep. And Samuel said, no, you've got to go bring him to me. And the moment he saw David, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord spoke to him and confirmed, this is the one that I want to anoint as king. Listen, I want you to tell you something. Both in, you know, if we're talking business, man, I'll, you may think, well, we just read resumes and pick who I like the best. But I would talk to the Lord before I put people in my business. 
We as a church, when we put people in leadership positions, I mean, you know, I talked about faithfulness and dedication is important. You know, availability goes a long way. But we also want to be careful and make sure that the Lord has put an anointing on that person to serve in that area. Is this okay? And here's probably the most important thing, and I'll say that here knowing that I know what we have here at All Seasons, so this may be... But I would be very careful about who I put in leadership in my life. What I mean by that is be very, very, very careful who I allow to speak into my life with authority. Not everybody who looks and sounds good on your social media feed or on the TV channel or need to be speaking into your life. Not every person, and I don't mean this in any ill will, hear my heart and I want to say it with love, but not every person that has a title of pastor beside their name need to be speaking into your life. That's why I'm thankful I'm in all seasons. I trust my leadership 100%. But I'm I'm just being leery, and, and as the Spirit of the Lord is saying, be careful. Don't just settle for somebody because it looks good and the world says, oh, they'd be a good person. You make sure the people you're allowing to speak into your life were anointed by God to speak into your life in that season, in that moment. Is this okay? Samuel was willing to to do that in appointing his leaders. Number six, Samuel had humility and he had accountability. He had humility and he had accountability. As I said, there came a point where Saul was Saul fell out of the favor of the Lord because of his disobedience, because he kept going against him. One of the major straws that ended up breaking the camel's back proverbially was he was told to take the Israelite army into Amalek, a, a group of people that they had battled for generations, still battling, really, if you trace the lineage to today. But in that moment, he said, you go into Amalek and you kill everyone. And what I mean by kill everyone, I want you to kill everything that's living. Wipe it all out. I don't want any any person, any animal, anything left. Well, Saul goes in and they win the battle and they take out the people. But again, Saul's like, some of these, some of these animals look pretty good. We can eat that. Anyway, maybe getting ahead of myself in a few weeks and going into more detail, but... As a result, Saul decided that he knew a little, he was a little bit wiser than God. He knew a little bit more than, than God. It would be okay. I, I, I'm not going to do that. And so Saul falls out of favor. And Samuel's the one, again, who's given the word to say, you've got to go tell the king, the one who's literally in control of everything, the one who could put you to death right now, you've got to go tell him that, that he's no longer God's anointing. Again, did it? Can I tell you, tough job, hard words. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but Samuel goes to him and talks to Saul, and he tells him. But again, very important. Samuel didn't go from a state of arrogance. He didn't go and yell at him and try to demean the king. It says even after he delivered the message that Samuel went back, and it says that he mourned for Saul. He mourned for Saul. He had humility to know that God, this is what you're doing and you know what's best. But I'm, I'm telling you that, 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 that humility that showed that even then he was, he would have loved to have seen Saul restored. Does this make sense? In anything we do, even if we're working in the kingdom of God, even if we have the word of the Lord on the inside of us, we have to understand that, that we're, God wants us to be humble. We need to be accountable. The seventh thing was that Samuel was a minister of prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. We just looked at that Scripture as they were in the battle with the Philistines. What did the people say? Samuel, pray for us. Don't stop. And again, did you notice the Scripture didn't say Samuel said, you got yourself into this mess. You need to pray. I mean... That's the way we would sort of act. And we understand it's a little different. He as the priest was kind of in that role as we talked about. He didn't say, well, you're on your own. This is your fault. Samuel said, it says that he went in the prayer. I'm speaking again from experience. Can I be transparent with you? I've been in the church a long time and been in ministry for a long time and I'm just going to tell you what's the most natural thing in the world is when I work with people and teach people and I see people who I know that I know that I know have been told what was right. There have been people that have, even people that I literally have personally counseled or talked to and told them what they needed to do. 
And then they go and do the absolute opposite of what they've been told. And they end up in a bigger mess. You want to know what the most natural thing that PB wants to do? <laughs> Try to tell you. You've got to figure it out now, right? And some of you have probably been there too, if we were to be honest. We look at people and we look at situations and sometimes it's easy for us to want to become hardened and harsh toward those situations. Am I right? Maybe it's just PB, I don't know. But I would dare say if we're being honest, it's easy for a lot of us sometimes to get hardened because, hey, we didn't get you in that situation. you should you, you got to figure a way out of it. But the compassion of Samuel to still go before the throne of the Lord and stand in the gap, even if they were the ones who were at fault, he said, nevertheless, they're still your people, God. What about that family member that you've been that's frustrated you to wit's end and you say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have to give her back to God. And, but what if the Lord's saying just one more time, were you willing to stand in the gap one more time? What about that person at work that's driving you, driven you nuts to the point where you're ready to quit and go somewhere else? Or maybe you just need to stand in the gap one more time. Is this all right? Maybe like Samuel, you just need to stand in the gap one more time because again, your faithfulness in prayer and intercession may be what he's waiting for to, to finally give you the answer that you're waiting for. Does this make sense? Throughout his life, Samuel engaged in prayer and intercession on behalf of the people of Israel. His commitment to seeking God's guidance through prayer serves as an example of the importance of relying on a spiritual foundation and leadership and decision-making. Last thing. Samuel had a focus on spiritual renewal. Samuel's focus was on spiritual renewal. You should go with me to one more, one more chapter very quickly. We're winding down. Go to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is taking place during the coronation ceremony of, Sam, of Saul. Saul has been anointed as the king. And so as they're now having the celebration, the official coronation, Samuel gets up in front of the people and he begins to speak. Now while this wasn't the end of Samuel's life, there would still be some more elements that we would see even as David takes over. This was kind of almost like, a, it sounded and seemed like a farewell speech. Does that make sense? And I guess in a way you could look at it, Samuel was no longer, he was still going to be a prophet and a voice, but he no longer was going to be their political leader as a judge. Does that make sense? So he's going out as a judge, Saul's coming in as a king. And so Samuel begins to speak, and a lot of these things we've been dealing with come to play here. Verse 1 says this of 1 Samuel 12, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now here is the king. He's walking before you. And I'm old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. Think about it. He's literally saying, you have seen me here in this position, at least with Eli, since I was a kid, you've known who I was. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? If I have, I will restore it to you. And notice what the people said. You have not cheated us or what? They had to admit right there in that moment, you know what? You didn't do anything wrong to us, Samuel. Integrity, character, honesty. Then he said to them in verse 5, The Lord is witness against you, and His anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And so they answered, He's witness. So then Samuel says to the people, he says this, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which He did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. 
When they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them in the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the land of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against him. They cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we'll serve you. For the Lord sent, then the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hands of your enemies on every side that you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. So now therefore, here's the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. Take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and you serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as if it was against your fathers. Now stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord. He will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourself. So the Lord Samuel called to the Lord. The Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added all of our sins, the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Verse 20, Samuel said, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. In the midst of all of this, they've committed this act of disrespecting the Lord as their king. They've asked for a king. The Lord has shown that He's not happy with what they've done, but now in this moment, Samuel, instead of heaping on more judgment, instead of Samuel just heaping it on and trying to make them feel guilty for his own, he simply says, all I want you to do is not to to renege and, and let me be your leader. I want you simply to follow who? The Lord. How many times, if we're to be honest in our life, when we face conflict or we face situations within our family or where people we feel like we've done wrong, a lot of times we we simply want our feelings to be intact. We want ourselves to sort of win the situation. We want ourselves to be the ones in the end that comes out on top or is the one that's glorified. Does that make sense? When in reality, how much greater would our lives be? How much more influence would we have? How much more impact would we have if we say it doesn't matter about us at all? It's all about God being glorified. Will you stand with me? As you'll see in coming weeks, Saul wanted the glory of the crown, but Samuel simply wanted the Glory to go to God. That became the biggest difference in their life. As you bow your hearts with me here for just a few moments as we get out of here, I know there's a lot of Scripture, a lot of teaching, a lot of areas that maybe you can take and you can chew on and the Holy Spirit will sort of reveal and show you. But this is one thing I want you to reflect on right now in this moment. As you do allow Holy Spirit to to speak to your heart, speak to your spirit, Are there areas in my life that I'm still trying to hold on to God's glory? Are there areas in my life where I'm just, I just want to be like everybody else? What are those areas in your life that the Lord is speaking to you? Those things that the Lord is telling you to lay down and you're like, I don't want to lay that down. None of my friends are are laying that down and none of, people are going to think I'm weird. Maybe it's not something to lay down, but what are those things that God has been speaking to you? Maybe there's somebody in here that, as I was speaking earlier, there's things the Lord has placed on your heart that He's been pulling at you at, that He has called you to do, and you've come up with every excuse in the world and reason why, oh, that's not really God, or that's not really, you're not really speaking to me, or I really can't do that, or I'll do that one day, Lord. Why not tonight hear the... At the end of this year, why not tonight be a night where I say, you know what, I'm going to say yes, Lord. As scary as it is, as difficult as it may be, I don't even know what, what it is. I don't even know how, God, but I'm going to say yes and I'm going to follow your word. 
He's speaking to you tonight as we pray. I just simply ask for you right there where you are to lift your hands and surrender those things that you're holding on to back to God. And that you allow Him to, to be the strength. Allow Him to be... You don't have to know how it's going to happen. All He wants you to do is say yes. He'll lead you every step of the way. He's the light of the world. Father God, I thank You tonight for Your many blessings. I thank You for allowing each person that's in this room today to be here. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for the example, the model, the faithfulness and dedication that Samuel is in the Bible. Father, from a young age, he... He was dedicated. His life was given to you and he served faithfully. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will kindle on the inside of every one of us in here the same, the same desire for faithfulness, the desire to be in your house, the desire to, to work for you, the desire to be what we've been called to be. Father, give us the ability to be present, God, to be available. Give us a dedication to your work that we will take seriously. Father, I pray, Lord, for those that are in here, God. There, are, I don't know why I feel this so strongly, Father, but those who are listening to me right now that have heard you speak over and over and over again, Father, let tonight be the night they say yes. Father, we hearken to your vo voice. We're not going to continue to come up with excuse, but Father, we're going we're to hearken and do what you've called us to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom in who we allow to speak into our lives. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to remain committed to your work. Father, give us integrity to do what you've called us to do. Let us not be afraid. The enemy will want us to be afraid of people's opinions and thoughts. But, Father, give us a love, and God, give us a grace that we can deliver your word in love, even if it's harsh truth. Father, give us the ability to do that. I pray that your hand be upon each one that's here. Help us to make you the Lord of our life and to serve you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, and everybody in this place, say amen, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Go give the devil fits. We'll see you Sunday.